0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. My name is Tom Dow and as always I'm joined by my best friend Andre
1: Grayson. Hello Mr Dow.
0: And together we are here to talk all things Arsenal. Before we discuss what has been an eventful few days for Arsenal Football Club, it's time for our weekly commentary quiz. Each week we both select a classic piece of commentary and have to read it with no context or emotion for the other to guess. This week we have Andres first.
1: Just to to note, you're winning 3-2 which is on my mind probably more than it is in yours. OK. <laughs> rattled, rattled. <laughs> uh, clearly, clearly. Are you ready? I was born ready. OK. Sidestepping one, sidestepping two. That is Thierry, uh, his solo goal at home to Liverpool to pass 3-2 up. Quite right, quite right. He felt the stadium breathing again. I love that quote. It's one of my favourite quotes. Um, were you at that one?
0: I wasn't. I actually watched it in a pub in Margate, which had like an illegal stream and it was like some Norwegian TV. Um, so every time a goal went in anywhere in the country, it would just say Pling, which I think is Norwegian for goal.
1: <laughs> oh, I love that. That sounds fantastic. I watched that game again in Spain and I watched it in the same bar. It's one called um, Calypso. Great name. Um and it's where I'd previously watched the Chelsea game four days prior, which was the worst of games. Um, and this was most certainly the best. As he, I mean, I can't do it justice in the way Henri does it justice when he talks about that goal. It was just, it was special. Really, really special.
0: Yeah, really special. And essentially, I think Wenger said as well, that was the goal that clinched the title. We knew from that point that we were going to go on and win the league. And there was a fair chance we were going to go on and win it unbeaten at that point as well. So... It did kind of put to rest uh, the, the last few days. Um, I, I was actually at the semi-final when we lost to Man United um, the follow the, the previous weekend. So that was like probably my first exposure to a proper Arsenal game at, at, an, at an away venue. So I was pretty down from that. And then obviously we had the Chelsea game in the midweek and then it felt like everything sort of been washed away when Omri did that.
1: It really did. It really did. And the commentary ended. That is brilliant. That is simply stunning. Genius at work. His name is Thierry Henry. Henry. Sidestepping one, sidestepping two. hit me.
0: Oh, what a shot. It's a fabulous goal.
1: That could be many goals.
0: I can give you a slight extension, which I think will help. Oh, what a shot. It's a fabulous goal from Robert Perez.
1: Oh, Anfield. Correct. I should have got that. I should have got that. What a goal. What a moment. I mean, the, uh, we've done goals from the same season. It, you would think we planned it. We probably should start. No, gives it away, doesn't it? That was a magnificent goal. Again, I think we talked on the last pod about winning at Anfield. That was even more spectacular. Uh, probably preferred our first goal in that game, though. Hoopia's own goal was brilliant.
0: Which Eddie tried to claim. <laughs>
1: <laughs> what a guy. Well, we're coming on to him. Uh, <laughs> uh, Robert Pires he didn't actually score many goals of that ilk really sort of long ranges that was a real one off from him but a stunning goal at a stunning time and again it, you know i've said before you need to win at anfield to be champions this was a a significant game in that season as well absolutely
0: and i think i love this goal almost as i, I as much as i love robert pires himself uh, he's always been one of my favourite players of all time. And I genuinely don't think there was a better left-sided midfielder in the in world football between 2001 and 2004. And he wasn't really a player who relied on flicks and tricks. He was a player whose game was all about his speed of thought and direct approach. And that was what made him so effective. And I, although I do agree with what you said about we didn't see too many goals of that ilk from Perez with, in terms of like a long range shot. It was quite indicative of his, his trademark, but from a bit further out. So his trademark was always about cutting in from the left-hand side and bending one into the far corner, which he did time and time again. But I think this is probably the best example of that type of goal because it was from further out, because there was absolutely no stopping it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think he, he scored many goals that were quite similar, but like you say, not not quite the same.
1: Yeah, I mean, we were... We laid down a marker that day. I love that we've both picked goals from the same season against the same opposition. There you go. Great minds. Great minds. Great minds. Here they are,
0: taking the game to Liverpool. Kirito. Okay, so it has been an interesting few days at Arsenal, to say the very least. On Friday, the club finally announced the signing of William on a three-year contract from Chelsea. And I think that's an area that we've covered fairly extensively in the previous podcast. So I don't really feel a need to go back to that. Uh, However, Friday also brought about the news that the club were launching an internal investigation into the signing of Nicola Pepe. And then rumours started to circulate on Twitter later that day that Raul Sagneli had been re- relieved of his duties as head of football. That news was then confirmed on Saturday through an official statement, which included the information that Ven then uh would be taking over the duties. Uh, firstly, Andre, how did you react to the news?
1: I was stunned, gobsmacked. There's been actually quite a lot of sort of statements that have come out. Nothing probably hit me as hard as the Wenger news, but this was really close, actually, I don't think I've been sort of gazumped by news in this way. Um, I just didn't see it coming. I, I saw about the investigation and I read that uh, article from ESPN and, and James Olley and you sort of think, yeah, you sort of see articles like that all the time. I'm sure they are. I didn't know whether it was good PR. Say, you know, we're just getting our house in order and we're investigating everything, particularly after the redundancies. I was absolutely shocked, uh, to be honest, at the time. Uh, I really didn't see that coming. I thought, you do have to go back last year where Raoul was talking pretty eloquently about what the structure is going to be of the club and those four squares and how we're going to move forward. Um, how about you? How did you how did you react?
0: I think uh, similarly to you, I was I was fairly shocked initially, uh, but not entirely disappointed. I'm, I, I must be honest. Uh, the first thing that really shocked me is that on Friday evening I saw a couple of Twitter accounts that had very few followers suggesting that uh, Rao had been sacked and I just I just thought that's ridiculous like how how on earth would they possibly know and it's absolutely blown me away that they they got that right because there was nothing to justify that these accounts were even remotely legitimate Um What I think has become clear in the past few transfer windows has been, and we covered this in the previous podcast, is that Arsenal have relied invariably on connections that Raul Sanyeli has had with different people, which on occasions has been useful, but I don't think always it's been with the best interest of the club at heart. And I think if you look back to the Wenger era, when obviously he was a lot more in control than anyone else at the club is now, Whatever you say about Arsene Wenger, everything he did, you know that he was thinking about Arsenal and he wanted the best for Arsenal Football Club. Okay, he got it wrong at times, and he he's made mistakes like everyone else. But he did want what was best for the club. With Raúl leading things, I'm not sure that has always been the case. And whenever we are linked to anyone, whether that's someone from an executive level or play or the playing staff there's usually some sort of link between Raul Sagnoli and that person via an intermediary or an agent or something along those lines. So I think it's quite, on the face of it, it looks like he's trying to help his friends out a bit more than he is trying to help Arsenal out, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. I mean, there's so many angles you can take with this. So once I'd got over the surprise, just going back to the reaction, I thought straight away, investigation, dodgy dealings. And now I've probably checked. I, I don't think Raul Sanehi has got to where he has in football doing things off record. I think it probably shouldn't have gone through the agents. It has. We probably overpaid for Pepe. There were probably a few too many people who who pocketed quite a fortune from the deal, Um and I think he's probably, that's all on him. And as you said, that's how he's run things. And that's not not what we like to do at Arsenal Football Club. Um, and then I read his statement. And again, you have to take everything you read here with a pinch of salt, where he said this wouldn't be happening if it wasn't down to the virus. And that's where I go, you sort of have to come into that sort of critical thinking and go, well, has he been sacked because we're cost-cutting? We've got two CEOs of sorts or two two directors, we really only need one, especially if we're cutting people, that uh, that pours less responsibility onto uh, two people. It can be handled more realistically by one. You sort of only really want one figurehead. And then I wonder whether did they both interview and they went, well, actually, we probably need Vinay's acumen more than we need Raul's contact book. And the investigation could have been a convenient way to get him out the door that's something i you know my concern is you can't trust the cronkeys they've brought in this lawyer tim lewis onto the board and he seems to be the one driving a lot of this but again we don't really know you can read what you like you can read all the articles under the sun we do not know um one of the things veen said in his um in his interview today was around we're going to try and give you more transparency and communicate, but they really can't communicate the findings of an internal investigation if someone's done dodgy dealings. So again, we're probably dealing in the dark and making assumptions left, right and centre. I saw a lot saying, oh, this is Arteta's influence growing. If that's the case, you know, great. And I I think to your point, he will act uh, as will Vinay and as will Edu um, with the club's best interests at heart. I don't know if it's as malicious as I initially thought it was but it's really hard to tell it's some it, it could even sort of be between the two some some lines blurred there perhaps
0: yeah I think you're I think you've pretty much hit the nail on the head with that um again, again I suppose it to say uh, depends entirely on what you read and where you're reading it from but my my thoughts did go to about maybe it's a cost-cutting measure as well as something else but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there was something a little bit naughty going on behind the scenes. Um, but like you said, I think that's probably, it, it might just be sort of some, something as a, a mask to to get him out. Uh, what I found interesting with what you did just say about Arteta, Redu and V9, it, it kind of leads me on to what my next sort of point was, which was what does that mean for Arsenal moving forwards? Well, as, as we've previously mentioned, Nine is going to be taking over the role of essentially head of football. Um, but I think what we're probably going to see is Eddie will probably have a far more prominent role in proceedings on the football side of things. And I also think that Mikel Arteta will probably be quite heavily involved in things. And although we have gone to this head coach and not a manager route, I think Arteta is about as close to a manager as you're going to get um, whilst still calling him a head coach. Because whenever it's down to contract renewals, we hear that he's been involved with that. Whenever it was about the wage cut, we hear that he was the one that went and spoke to all the players. And it's an aura that he carries about him that makes you think, OK, well, he's a a bit more than a head coach. And I love that about him. But that sort of leads me to this question, which is, are we going to see Arsenal maybe backtracking slightly, not all the way, to somewhere where the club was before, as opposed to the new structure, which we thought we were going to be heading towards?
1: Yeah, I mean, we tried to go completely the other way post-Wenger, and that was Gazidis's brainchild. The fact he didn't stay and see it through perhaps told you he spotted writing was on the wall. Ultimately, we want football people making football decisions. Now, again, we don't know much about, you know, Sanje, he was pretty successful at Barcelona. You know, you can read what you like about whether he's responsible for some of their downturn that we saw... Um, <laughs> Well, we saw them hit rock bottom this week. Um, (laughs) But again, I I personally want Edu and Arteta making more of the decisions when you look round who is at the club at the moment. I do still think the worst thing that's happened here was probably losing Sven. Sven Mislintat, I think, was someone who put us at the forefront. He'd done amazing work for Dortmund and he has put the infrastructure in place that means they're capturing that young talent. And they still have a platform to really nurture those and then sell on for big funds. And Dortmund broke a record this year for number of goals scored in the Bundesliga and that's with a very youthful squad. A lot of exuberance there. And again, that sort of came from what Sven influenced. We've lost a lot of that. So... I actually think moving back to that model, you know, ultimately, who do you trust more to identify a player to play for Arsenal? Raul Sanehi or Mikel Arteta? There's no question who you'd prefer. So I'm glad we are returning to that. But again, with a technical director there with more influence, with someone who doesn't have a vice-like grip over the club as Wenger did, I think it's a lot healthier and I think this is more akin to what Arsenal should be doing.
0: Yes, and I think that's probably where we're going to be heading. Um, I think it's it's mis- it's unfortunate that we've sort of got to this stage where we are sort of toing and froing from from what we want, and I I think there's a, a little bit of a lack of clarity at the moment about where Arsenal are going and what sort of look that's going to going to have. But the quicker we can get that sorted, the better. There, there was one thing that I did, that did pop into my mind. And I said this to, I can't remember who I was talking to, it might have been my dad, and I said that it's not ideal in the middle of a transfer window for something like this to happen. But having said that, it, it, it's probably far less disruptive for that to happen now than it would be in the middle of a season. So maybe, maybe this is really the only, the only really decent time for something like this to happen, because otherwise you're just going to interrupt what Mikel Arteta is trying to do throughout the, the campaign.
1: Yet, yeah, I think we looked at the end of the season as a real cornerstone for making a lot of these decisions about redundancies. We won the FA Cup final two weeks ago. There has been so much that has happened. You know, I remember you and I going, What are we going to talk about? and coming up with creative ideas. There's been so much to talk about. I can't believe it. And I also don't think this is the end of the redundancies or change. I suspect we will see more. But I think this is normal. I think this is. Well, I think there's two things at play. I still think we got it wrong post-Wenger. I think the whatever we put in place or what we tried to implement clearly didn't work. And that's OK. I think we had to accept there would always be some issues. We thought it would just be the manager. It seems like it's the whole infrastructure we put in place. Um, but now we're looking at something that's more realistic for a modern football club going forward. Um, one thing I, I actually wanted to ask you in all of this that's on my mind is, do you think this has happened because the Cronkies are getting in more involved from a cost-cutting exercise, or do you think it's because they've acted really slowly and it's taken them far too long to get round to this? Because um, I'm sort of wondering, is this an ownership error? Should he never have been appointed? D- have they taken too long? Sort of What's what's your stance?
0: I think my stance is that the Cronkies are far, far too removed from uh, the whole process that is Arsenal Football Club. I think they they quite like Arsenal just to be run and making them a little bit of money and being on their portfolio without them having to actually do much. And it's only been fairly recently that Josh Cronkis taken a far more active role in, in, in the club. And... I think the things that go on at the club, uh, I can imagine it's very difficult to have a strategy in place that that everyone's on the same page with, if you've got your owners on the other side of the world and having to communicate with them back and forth. I, I can imagine it's quite a, a lengthy process to get to get a lot of things done and a lot of things signed off. So I probably I'd probably say it's more the latter of what you said uh and that uh, they are a bit too slow to react to things and maybe now maybe now they're they're finally seeing that okay this this is a club that does need some attention it's not going to run itself there needs to be some sort of process to get the right people into the right positions and slowly but surely i think we are getting there obviously we've got our head uh, we've got our head coach in mikel arteta who i don't think Any Arsenal fan would change for for anyone at the moment. He's done a fantastic job. Uh, How successful Edu will be in his role, I think, remains to be seen. Uh, I don't think he's really had an opportunity to really put his mark on things. But as I said, I'm pretty sure he'll have more responsibilities now. So we should get to see the effects of that. Um, I think this is a massive transfer window for Edu uh, whilst we're on that because... This is a real, really the first opportunity he's had where he can really, really put his mark on things, and it's at a time that's going to be very difficult to do so. But it's it's a big one for Eddie, and then obviously V nine now being in that position, um I think it's healthier to have maybe one person up there instead of two. Uh, but all of that remains to be seen. But like you say, I'm pre- I'm pretty confident there will be. More shifting around and more structure changes and more changes to the direction that Arsenal are heading.
1: Absolutely, and we said last week, how long do you give it? We give it three seasons. I think, as you've said, it's a huge window, window, window for Edu. Maybe we'll call them windows going forward as long as he's at the club. <laughs> so, in this transfer window, it's his first, and I agree with you, it's important. But I really do think with the work that needs to be done. In the global state we are in, to me, uh, I think I can't judge him in this window. I also don't know how much we can judge it even for the whole of next season. Because until fans get back in and revenue streams are what they should be, I really struggle to see how we can judge much that goes on. However, I am delighted that it does fall solely onto two former Arsenal central midfielders. I like that. I trust where it's going. I like the direction. I like, you know, I don't know Sanyehi. Vini. he can be the CEO. He talks well. He's been at the club 10 years. I prefer him to Gazidis. He doesn't say as many stupid things. He's less, you know, he less, he's less... Um, Bored? Less bald, for sure, for sure. And as you know, if you are bald, you are a fraud. Um, <laughs> another reference to... Uh, <laughs> oh, no, I, I, I referenced Barca's downfall, uh, <laughs> not Man City and Peps. <laughs>
0: Who is also bald. He is
1: also bald, and I'm still very satisfied about last night's showing. And UEFA getting their own back. Anyway, the, the sort of point of it is, I can't really believe that of all central midfielders Arsenal have, Arteta and Edu are leading the charge, but I absolutely love it. I'm really excited about next season, and I think this these changes overall considering everything we've talked about i think this will be a good thing i think it's clearer that this will be a good thing whereas the redundancies we just simply don't know this seems like a great decision and i'm pretty pleased actually um because again we need the wind we need the dealings this window to look less like they're run through agents we cannot afford to overpay as a club we're a safe we've got a self-sustainable model you cannot have someone who is liable to paying agents in the way he was.
0: Yeah, and I think the last thing that I that I will add, uh, just again going back to Edu and this window that he's he's got to navigate. Um, whilst I do agree with you that it would be harsh to judge him in this situation, um, I think he has probably, he, he must be confident that we're going to have a decent window because his statement on the back of the William deal uh, suggested that there were going to be other people coming and going from the club, which I think we we all accept needs to happen. But the way that he spoke makes me think something is happening, and I'd be surprised if if we didn't have a successful window, because otherwise I think he's just made a rod for his own back with that statement.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. And as we've discussed many times, outgoings, as important this window as incomings.
0: Okay, I think that kind of summarises our position on uh, Raul Sanieli's exit from the club and the direction that we think Arsenal will take moving forward. What we wanted to do now is the fixture list is due to be released uh, at the end of this week, uh, next week, I believe. So we thought it'd be a good opportunity to discuss what we'd like to see from that fixture list. Now, it's very difficult uh, to make any assumptions and it's going to be very different to what we normally know. But what we do know is that certainly for the start of the season, fans are not going to be at games yet. That's not going to happen until probably the 1st of October, at the earliest. And even then, it's going to be a reduced capacity. So there's a fair chance for a large section of next season, away days are probably not going to happen because I think those will be the last, the last things to, to, to change. So what we're going to talk about now is we've both selected two games that we hope are early in the season because we don't mind missing them. And all of these games are going to be away games. And we've also selected two games that we hope are later in the season and that things return to normal and we can attend. So, Andre, I'll let you take the the first leap on that. So if you could tell me your first game that you'd be happy to miss.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now I've never been to this ground, and I need—it's the only one in the Premier League at the moment. Oh, I guess other than um, the them lot up the roads, new ground that I haven't been to, uh, and that's Turf Moor. I I, have—I do want to go to tick it off the list, but Burnley—it's a nightmare to get to. They play the worst football. The games are always insipid. There's never really more than a goal. Um, so I would be delighted if game one was Burnley away at, uh, at Turf Moor. I, I have no interest in going. I sort of feel I have to go make the pilgrimage up there just out of pure principle. I suppose we have that in us in terms of going away. But yeah, Burnley <laughs> away, no interest. What, a, what, <laughs> what about you?
0: Short, sweet and to the point that I like it. Um, okay, my first one, I've gone for a really controversial one here. And uh, hear me out, I will justify it. So the one that I said I wouldn't mind missing and I hope it's early in the season would actually be Tottenham away. And the reason why I say that is I hate the North London derby. I really, really hate it. It's a horrible day unless you win, in which case it's the best day ever and you can enjoy it retrospectively. Um, When we lost to them this season, uh, I found it a lot easier to sort of put to one side after maybe an hour or two after the game, because there were no fans there. I didn't have to listen to their fans singing their crap songs and then pretending they're a big club. I didn't have to put up with any of that. Um, I could just turn off my phone. I didn't have to go on social media, and that was about it. I was still angry about it, but the game was so different than normal day. It almost didn't feel like a proper North London derby. And I also prefer when we play them later in the season, um, it, it always means more. And as a result, there's more at stake. So if we can get an away game to them out the way at early doors, even if you lose, you've got time to catch up for the rest of the season. Whereas an early defeat, as, as I said, the early defeat you can sort of get over. A late defeat could cost you Champions League, it could cost you Europa League or, or whatever. So somewhat controversially, Tottenham away would be the one that I would uh, happily have as an early fixture.
1: Interesting, interesting. So we don't seem to play them. They are always coming to us first, I swear. It's been years since we were the, uh, we uh, ho- We had them at home second, if that makes sense, um, which is incredibly frustrating because you always want to get the revenge. It's been a number of years, hasn't it? I, I can't remember the last time. I'm, I, trying to, I'm, tr- I'm,
0: I'm, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. The last time I could... The, the first one that comes into my head that I think of is... The 2012, the the first 5 2. Because we lost away to them and then we beat them 5 2. That that I can't think of one since then.
1: I think uh, it has been. It certainly feels like it's been that long. It feels like it's been eight years. Maybe we're getting confused with an FA Cup tie in there somewhere, but yeah, I, I um I do disagree with you wholeheartedly on this one because um well we'll get to it. Um but yeah, I have to say. There's a few factors that go into away days that um, mean they fall higher up my list and, and travel, as I've talked about many times, is big, is big. <laughs> and then being very close, that could never be one. I, I agree with you. I dread the day, but it's, it is one of my favourites, I have to say.
0: I'm I I am with you because it is it is one of those ones that you. I, I should preface this whole segment being that I want to go to every single game. This isn't a I'd rather I, I don't want to go to Tottenham away. Of course I want to go to Tottenham away. It's it's just a, one that I despise the whole day. And if I could just have Tottenham not in existence and not have to worry about that day twice a season, I, I'd I'd happily
1: go with that. Yeah. Very fair, very fair. See, I'm factoring in travel. I'm factoring in, as we know, and I've discussed on, you know, at length parking is critical in a good away day for me. Um, <laughs> but also just likelihood of what the game will be like. Um, and and there's so many. I was looking at, there's loads I don't want to miss out on that probably won't make the cut because I'm torn because there's three more up north, um, Liverpool, City or United having made all those trips, I probably have to say my second one on this list is Liverpool, mainly because they are still way too good for us. I know we beat them at home, but they are too good for us. And it's one thing going with more hope rather than expectation. There's another knowing if we keep it under three, like the best conversation we could have on the way home is really glad we kept it under three, We showed good fight up until they scored their first goal. I've got, that's the worst, is that travelling home in near silence. Nothing really good to talk about after the game. And I can see that happening at Anfield again next year. Mainly because I think they're so strong. Um, Even though I do love going to Anfield, but even them as champions, I don't want to see their ground gold, you know, with I don't want to see that celebration so Liverpool away not the first game of the season either nice and early on because I don't want to be there their start of their title defence um, but Anfield is is on that list for me early on this season
0: My second one is also Liverpool away and <laughs> the reason why I've gone for that is very similar to you because I just I don't see us for the next couple of years going up there and get, getting a result because we're, we're not good enough and they're far too good and um, I've been there the last two seasons and I've seen us get hammered on both occasions (laughs) and I could really do without that for one year at least. So I I think I'd take Liverpool away opening day of the season, get it out of the way. That's fine. Um, I'd I'd be fine with that. Um, As you say, it's a long journey and for a club as big as Liverpool, the away end is not great, particularly if you get caught at the back of the, the lower tier. It's, Impossible to see. You can't see anything. Last two years ago, when I went up there, and we lost five one. Ainsley Niles scored to put us one nil up, and I couldn't even see the goal. I just, I just, just about saw it hit the back of the net, and I was like, okay, right, we're one nil up then. And it was a ridiculous experience. So, I think Liverpool is one that we can agree on that one. We'll, we'll, we'll both take that as a uh, as losing that for next year.
1: Just on your point, it is an absolute disgrace that a club that goes on the way it does about football and looking after fans and everything has the away end it does, it's appalling. You know, they can treat their own fans like that, but the fact they treat away fans with such derision, it drives me mad. And also, it's because of the way they talk about themselves in this sort of magisterial honour of football. You know, it's different. When you go to Palace and you can't see, you sort of accept it. They're a, they're a smaller club. They're, you know, it's more important for Palace to have all their own there. Liverpool should have a much better away day experience. And I think it's appalling that they don't, to be perfectly honest. So there's uh, a little bit of my angst coming out there. There you go.
0: Yeah. And, and I didn't get any discount on my ticket. That I couldn't see either because I wasn't technically behind a pillar. If I was behind a pillar, you get a slight, slightly cheaper ticket. But because I'm at the back of the stand, even though I can see less than if there was a pillar in the way, <laughs> I still get a chance of So So <laughs> yeah. it's not ideal, not ideal. Okay, that's the, the negative ones done. Uh, now we're going to look at two games that we really hope are later in the season and uh, that we really, really want to go to. So I'll do my first one first. And the first game that I really don't want to miss this year would be Leeds United away. And that's because I've been to Elm Road um, but that was to watch a Rugby World Cup game, which was a shocking decision because that meant I missed Leicester away that year. And Andre has never let me live that one down. Uh, Ellen Road, I really enjoyed it as a ground when I went there to watch the rugby. Didn't really watch the rugby because I was looking at my phone to see what the Arsenal score was. And... Um, but it's one that I've always wanted to go to to see an Arsenal game. The last opportunity I had would have been when we played in the FA Cup and we, they took us to a replay. But that was on a, a Tuesday night, I think. Um, and we were at university in Brighton. I think we had exams coming up as well. So there was a reason why we didn't make that trip. Uh, I really, I, I love the passion of their fans. And I think Leeds is a really good night out as well. So that's the ideal combination for an away day. A lot of people hate Leeds, and that's fine. Everyone hates their own teams, but I was genuinely really happy to see them back in the top flight because, growing up, they were always in the Premier League. They were they were a big club, and I still think they are a big club, and I think it is it, good to
1: have them back in the Premier League. Yeah, absolutely. They were on my list, but but I sort of wasn't really sure. I'm sort of I'm between so many here. So if you're taking Leeds, I will join you uh, in. Uh, You know, a nod to Elland Road, but I'm going to go Craven Cottage uh, and Fulham away. Very tricky to get tickets, admittedly. Fulham away, the year we went um, together, was one of my favourite away days of all time at the end of the season. Um, I've also been there, I went there, one of my friends, Russ, uh, and a friend, Jake, supports supports Southampton, Russ Fulham. And I actually went there for uh, when Fulham... Uh, played Southampton two seasons ago Fulham won three two um but it's a great ground it's one of the few that's really still historical it really is a throwback I love going to Fulham it's a great journey the walk I know everyone talks about the walk along the river but it is there's something special about it um I always enjoy a London derby as well they're always pretty special so yeah Fulham away would be would definitely be uh one I wouldn't want to miss out on
0: yeah, really, really wonderful uh, away day, Fulham. Um, <laughs> going back to that 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 game that we went to together, uh, that was a game where we had, I think we'd already confirmed third, hadn't we? And there was literally yeah. nothing to play for. And we equalised in the last minute through Theo Walcott. And uh, me, you and Mark Pond went mental, like we won the World Cup um, on the back of having a number of beers that day. Uh, So it was it was a really weird one because it was a it wasn't an important game. There was nothing riding on it, but it was such a good away day. And we had it was just such a great day in in total.
1: Yeah, the um, the Curry House post match was a low point in my Arsenal fan going experiences. But uh, never mind, never mind. I will say no more.
0: I think I, th- I think you need to say more because you've te- you've teased you've teased our eight viewers. They need to know.
1: Uh, <laughs> no, my family are, are four of those eight viewers. So uh, <laughs> en- <laughs> enough said. Enough said.
0: <laughs> okay, but just j- just to reiterate, that was one of the lowest points of your life.
1: Uh, Arsenal supporting yes my life yes I realise there's no differentiator there <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay the second one that I really don't want to miss out on so I hope this is later in the season and we're allowed back in is Brighton away and the reason I've chosen Brighton away is because this year we had a big away day planned for it uh, Andre and myself both went to university in Brighton so it's it's always a nice one to go to and we had four of us heading down there on the train and it was going to be a, a, a long session, So, shall we say. And that was obviously the game that got postponed, which prompted the, the cancellation almost of the entire, entire league. And that was also on the back of Mikel Arteta being uh, testing positive for the coronavirus. So... That one for me has to happen this year because it was. We were all so excited to go down there this year, and I think it would have just been such a fantastic day, uh, regardless of the result. Actually, because we were all going there, and we were all just going to have a really, a really fun day down on the south coast. So, hopefully, we get to do that one this year.
1: Yeah, and thank goodness we didn't go. I know it's you can't say that result would have happened, but maybe it was a blessing (laughs) because I don't know how celebratory we would have felt with Neil Malpé scoring in the last minute. That would have been horrible. Um, Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Brighton, always fantastic. Um, Okay. Next on my list. So seeing as, uh, you know, I'll go, I'll go with some sort of selections that were, were up there for me. I nearly picked the North London Derby. Um, I, I, I love the angst. I really do. I'm a bit, skeptical of their new ground because we haven't done it i also think we're going to we'll probably do them next season i've got a good feeling about what we're going to do to tottenham going forward after the um well after what happened this season and i just feel the first one with fans in i've got a sneaking suspicion we'll do it um but never mind so but yeah sorry what i was going to say is going to that that ground when it was before it was uh transformed into a toilet bowl was uh, the you you were scared, you know. I'm not afraid to say it. You were you were scared coming around the corner off Seven Sisters Road. There's venom. I haven't seen venom like it, and anger and fury. Um, you know they're they're scoundrels round there. They are scoundrels. Is gentle, isn't it? They're complete scum. And the police were terrified to intervene as well. And you sort of look at a policeman and you go, "What are you going to do to help me?" And they sort of look back at you, going, at "Nothing." Um, but uh, I, I love all of that, but never mind. Um, so on my list would be uh, is Villa Park, one we missed out on this season. It's a great away day. Again, there's loads of factors. I do normally get the train to Villa. however, the parking space at Villa Park is the best.
0: It's, it's fantastic.
1: Free. It's free. It's a 10-minute walk from the ground. It's everything you could want and more. But actually, one of my earliest experiences of an away day was going to the Witten Arms, which is a pub just round the corner. And it was the first one where there was sort of an electric atmosphere amongst fans uh, before an away day. Also, I had one of my favourite games um, at Villa Park, which was where we scored three and four minutes. Um Welbeck, Ozil, I can't remember who got the third, actually. It was was
0: an own goal, I think, the third one.
1: Yes, but it was literally, honestly, I moved rows and seats. I almost ended up in the upper tier because you couldn't, the the celebrations were so wild. Um, We nearly always win at Villa Park as well. This season really has blown all these records out of the water. But I just love Villa Park. Again, it's one of those grounds where it has that element of really English football it's historic their fans are nearly always up for it in fairness the last couple of years before they went down were a bit um it was a lot flatter there but they're always well up for it there it's a great ground great sort of you always have a good view wherever you sit as well so yeah Villa Park for me is one I really hope we get to go to
0: I agree I do like I do love going to Villa Park OK, I think we've summarised the games we're happy to miss and the games we're unhappy to miss. But ultimately, like I said at the start, I don't want to miss any of them. I hope we can go back to football <laughs> as, 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 as soon as possible. Uh, it's such a big part of my life and obviously your life as well, Andre. And that uh, t- To me, my life is just not anywhere near the same when we can't go to football. So the sooner we can get back, the better. But obviously it has to be done so that everyone is, is kept as safe as
1: possible. Hear, here.
0: Now it is time for the segment where we look at a classic Arsenal shirt from the past 30 years and select three goals each that we instantly think of. This week we are discussing the 2005-2006 home shirt, which is is of course the red current kit that was worn in the final season at Highbury. It's one of my favourite shirts. It's really really classy, and I remember it was just so different seeing Arsenal play in a home shirt that wasn't the traditional red and white that it really threw me when they first got announced. But I, I loved it, and it's I really really struggled to to just pin this down to three goals because there was so many memories sort of going through my head so Andre would you like to go first
1: yeah for sure it was it was an absolutely historic season I think one of the things that sort of gets lost in all of this because of the way it ended I'm not talking about the Champions League final more how it ended at us uh, ended with us leaving Hybrid and how special that particular day was um This was the first season I think we really struggled. It was the first season we weren't the force we were, which made these highs even higher. So the first one I've got on my list that it made me think of was Cesc Fabregas against Juventus, reversing the ball in uh, past Buffon against Vieira. And there was so much made of that midfield battle before the game. The whole preview was about Fabregas and could this young man deliver? And boy, did he deliver. It's a brilliant finish. And it's one of those where, again, I wasn't there, but watching on the TV, you can't tell it's in till it rolls in the net. And you actually see the fans celebrating sooner uh, than the ball hitting the net. And I love goals like that anyway. But he was such a sensational player. And in that game, he was incredible. It was the first... That uh, game where you went, wow, what a talent we have. Um, and there was just so much about that game that mattered. And to go 1-0 up in that fashion was brilliant.
0: That leads me on really nicely to my my first choice as well, because it's from the same game and it is the second goal scored by Thierry Henry. But it was assisted by Ces Fabregas. And not just for his goal and his assist in that game. Fabregas' all-round play was absolutely fantastic. fantastic the whole evening. And like you said, all of the build-up, all the preamble was about Fabregas versus Patrick Vieira. And Fabregas came out well out on top that night. And I remember the Arsenal fans singing the Vieira song, but with he plays in black and white. His team is effing shite. So it's a really, really testament to Cesc Fabregas that Arsenal were even willing to humour losing Patrick Vieira. Um, Going back to the goal itself that I'm describing, for me, it was one of those classic Arsene Wenger goals where the, the build-up plays fantastic and ultimately it gives Thierry Henry a really simple tap-in. But it's one of those goals that, again, I, I wasn't actually at the game either, but it's the rule of the crowd that adds to the moment tenfold. And as soon as the cameras pan across the stands, you can see just how much it means to everyone in the ground. And there is nothing else in life that provides the same kind of emotion that football brings. And that's why I love it.
1: Yeah, 100%, 100%. Gosh, it's, this is this podcast is particularly making me really nostalgic about going to grounds, and it's not even been a year. It's been six months, but yeah, two two great picks there. It was a great game. That was a special, special run. Um, yeah, which again, I actually, well, God, this is going well, which leads me on to my goal number two, uh, which would be Toure against Villarreal. So the only goal in that two-legged tie perhaps more historic for Jens' penalty save in the away leg. We There was something about us in this Champions League run, most notably the back four, well, the whole team, of course, but the back four and the goalkeeper. It was our makeshift defence that saw us break a Champions League record for clean sheets, which is... Unbelievable, really. I mean, if you look at that season and some of the results, we, we, we barely got any clean sheets in the league. But in the Champions League, we were sensational. And Toure was a huge part of that. Um, this goal driven across the box, he slides in. Um, and it was when they had the first few rows of Highbury weren't in use. Um, and I can just picture vividly what that stand looked like. My dad actually flew over from Spain to England to go to that one sensational finish um but really it's more what the the magnitude of that goal in a champions league semi-final we felt unbeatable at highbury that year it's one of the last games there um loved colo as well what a player he was one of my favorites for years um great goal great occasion just brilliant
0: yeah, and that was on my original list. And when we spoke this morning about what goals we were going to talk about, uh, we agreed that you could have this one because obviously last week I <laughs> I, I took over the entire list. So you got this one. Um, that was a game I was at and it was a really emotional evening because it was the last European game at, at Highbury. And the atmosphere was was surreal. It was absolutely incredible. I, I remember where me and my dad were sat in the North Bank lower. We had Paul Davis sat behind us. So that was pretty cool as well. And it was also the famous night the Highbury Squirrel that got onto the pitch. And that was right in front of the North Bank. So it was uh, it was an interesting evening. But obviously, to win 1-0, it gave, you, gave us such a good chance to get to the final. And just going back to that back four. That back four was Emmanuel Abue, Philippe Senderos, Colo Torre and Matthew Flamini at left back. And that is unbelievable that we were able to keep as many clean sheets as we were. <laughs>
1: It's incredible. It's incredible. Completely. I mean, they weren't even second. A couple of them are second choices in that position. Some were lower down. And uh, it was interesting listening to the Senderos in lockdown podcast. Um, because I think we forgot. Uh, I certainly forgot the high hopes I had for him on the back of that campaign. But never mind, wasn't to be. But it was great listening to those memories, actually, as well. It really was. It really was. OK, so my
0: second goal is from a 3-0 victory at home to Blackburn Rovers in the league. Uh, Arsenal were already 2-0 up at this point and coasting towards three points when Robin Van Persie picked the ball up on the right-hand corner of the pitch. He then proceeded to make Robbie Savage look like a schmuck before bending a left-footed strike in off the far post. And that felt like a real moment when Robin Van Persie announced himself as the unbelievable talent that he was. And it's worth remembering that we did actually used to like him. We didn't always think he was a horrible human being. And he was very, very good at football.
1: (laughs) Yeah, brilliant goal. And any goal that includes Robbie Savage, as you've eloquently put there, looking a schmuck, adds adds quite a lot to the goal, (laughs) for sure.
0: It really does. It really does. And we've been fortunate that we've seen that on a few occasions. I remember there was a game when we won 6-2 at the Emirates against them. and Fabregas made him look ridiculous in the opposite corner. Um, and then we went and scored on the back of that. I think that was the goal that made it 6-2. Um, so it's, it's something we have been privileged enough to see on many occasions. <laughs> yes. Lucky us. Lucky us. OK. Would you like to take us away with your third and final choice?
1: I certainly would. I watched this game, final day of the season, in a it was a bar in Spain called Lancora. And in Spain, of course, the, the the rights are very different. So we had about three, four games on. So I was stood perfectly between the West Ham Spurs game and our game, where I could sort of keep an eye on both. And I went, I'd just gone ballistic about Yossi Benayoun's um goal to put West Ham 2-1 up and it felt like everything was going to be our day and then we get the penalty do you know what my timings might be wrong you'll forgive me uh and then Henri steps up for the hat trick puts it down he was never going to miss he scores and then you think what celebration can he do to make this send-off complete and he bows and kisses the turf and it sort of gives me goosebumps now thinking about it. It was everything you could have hoped and dreamed for. Yes, we would have loved a title. Yes, it's a great shame we didn't go on to win the Champions League. But Arsenal Football Club has given some, us uh, some amazing memories, even, if, even when we haven't won trophies. And for me, this is actually right up there. My favourite player at the best ground, scoring a hat-trick for us to overtake our fierce rivals... Completely perfect. You know, they always say you couldn't write it. It's exactly what you'd write. It was just the most brilliant send-off for Highbury um, special.
0: Yeah, and that was a game that I was fortunate enough to be at, and it was probably one of the most memorable occasions that I'll ever experience in a football match. Um it's funny you mentioned obviously about going mentor when uh Yossi Benioon scored for West Ham. When he scored it was literally just as Dennis Bergkamp was being substituted on, and the whole ground just took off. Like every everyone went absolutely berserk when Bergkamp was coming on, and I remember the camera panning up to Charlie George sat in the uh, one of the boxes in the clock end. and he's just gesturing towards the Arsenal fans, pumping his fist. And Ian Wright was going going berserk as well. It was just a it was just a really really surreal day. But that was that moment when Yossi Benayn put them to uh, put West Ham two one up. That kind of, you knew it was over at that point and there was such an outpouring of relief in in, in the ground. And then, as you say, when, when we get the penalty and Omri scores that, it's, it's game over and it's just a wonderful, wonderful day. But also it's one that I look back on with a lot of sadness because football for me has never been quite the same since we left Highbury. As much as I love going to the Emirates, it's it's not the same. Uh, it doesn't have the same history. It doesn't have the same memories. It doesn't have the same creaky chairs that Highbury had. But it's one that I'm so privileged that I got to go to Highbury as many times as I did. And I I, I need to thank my dad for that because he paid for every single one of those adventures. So.
1: Yeah, no, wonderful, wonderful. Well, finish us off. What's, what's your third one?
0: Okay, my third and final Goal, and that leads nicely on from your one because mine is also a another goal by Thierry Henry, and it is his majestic strike in the final North London derby at Highbury. Uh, this is one of my favourite goals that he ever scored. Again, I was very privileged to be in the North Bank that day. And towards the end of the 05-06 campaign, when we were chasing the Champions League, Arsenal did try to rotate the squad, and so Henry didn't even start the game against Tottenham. And we were trailing uh, by goal to nil after a controversial Robbie Keane goal. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Otherwise, I'll go off on a, a right rant. <laughs> um Arsene gave Thierry the cool wives warming up. And as we watched Omri run back towards the bench, he ripped his bib off and threw it in the air. And there's this enormous cheer goes up around, around Highbury. And... Omri just knew how to get everyone off their seat. He wasn't even playing and that was the biggest cheer of the day of him taking his bib off and he knew what he was doing. And as the crowd roared, the atmosphere improved immeasurably and the game changed on the back of that alone. Um, He knew how to play the crowd and he did it better than most people. As soon as he entered the pitch, the game changed. He then scored a goal that's so good. I cannot think of a single goal that... I would compare it to or say that it's like because he's received the ball on the left-hand side of the pitch from Adi Bayor. He's got Ledley King really, really tight to him, but he's managed to take a touch and then flick the ball into the far corner with the outside of his right foot in the most nonchalant, fluid movement that you could possibly see on a football pitch. His celebration after when he goes berserk, screaming towards the Tottenham fans is just Another iconic piece of celebration by Thierry Henry. But the goal itself is is up there with as good a goal as you could ever wish to see.
1: Yes, and you, you've described and depicted that absolutely beautifully. I'm feeling very nostalgic. I'm going to go and watch all these goals now on YouTube.
0: I know. I, I had a lump in my throat when I was describing the Henry goal then.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. My experience of that. Huh. I had a geography field trip. Okay.
0: I'm excited already. (laughs) (laughs) Really?
1: (laughs) Uh, And it was uh, in Madrid. So that was a four-hour bus drive. And when I found out the time it was leaving, I was absolutely heartbroken that I wasn't going to be able to watch the game. So this was a time when I had credit as um, as opposed to a contract phone. I had a flip phone and I got a text through. And I was like, the game's nearly ending. We must have no signal. I've heard nothing from my dad. And he texts me going, 1-0 Spurs. And you know when you get something like that? It wasn't how it was now. You couldn't keep in touch. You just had a text come through. It was like teletext. And then nothing. And then 1-1 Henri. And I remember being on the bus. And anyone who's watched a game with me, I go ballistic. I was going Ballistic. Um, and loads of people had fallen asleep um, on this <laughs> bus. <laughs> I was going absolutely out my tree. Uh, because you knew, we, if we lost that, it was all over. And that we, I'd never even contemplated in my life prior to that day that they could finish above us. Um, but yeah, we did it. We had a, a brilliant goal, which again, I didn't see live. So I think that's why it wasn't on my list, is because I didn't experience that in the way you would want to experience that. And it's one of my biggest regrets that I just had to do that. That was, you know, that's life. life. Um, and I think it's why, actually moments like that are why I just do not miss a game now. Because I remember the pain of not being able to experience what that felt like. Um, it also ended up with me watching the semi-final second leg in a small bar in Madrid with everyone supporting Villarreal. Um, which, again you know, a story for another day, perhaps. But yeah, I still, that geography field trip well, it was never going to be that memorable. It was a geography field trip. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it was memorable to me for that text, which I, I kept on my phone uh, until sort of uh, I moved back to the UK.
0: Fantastic. Fantastic tales. And... Yeah, that that was a as much I enjoyed talking about all the goals then it, it, I, I actually found that one quite hard to talk about because it it is just thinking back to hybrid and it's the, it's the the bygone days when we were younger and football was basically our lives I know it still is but it, it, it literally was it meant everything back then and it, although it still does it's not quite the same when you're an adult compared to when you're a child um but yeah really really fantastic. That wraps up another episode of the Boys in Red and White podcast. Thank you to everyone that has listened and everyone that has uh, liked our Facebook or Twitter pages. Uh, You can find us on both by searching for the Boys in Red and White. So please give us a follow on there if you haven't already. And if you would like some light reading, you can visit our blog at www.theboysinredandwhite.com. Thank you for listening and thank you very much for your time as always, Mr Grayson.
1: Thank you, Mr Dow. Enjoyed it, enjoyed it. And a shout out to uh, a rather large volume of followers we've somehow managed to collect. It's very exciting. Looking forward to to engaging with them all.
0: Fantastic. And if any of our new followers would like to ask us any questions or get us to discuss anything on the the podcast, please just let us know and we'll do our best to get back to you with our comments. Uh, So we'll be back next week with another podcast. Uh, Until then, stay safe and we'll see you next week.
1: See you guys.